Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Hey, good morning and welcome to Crosspoint. We're just so glad that you guys have joined us today. For those of you online, Thank you for logging in. We would love to gather uh, together in person, but since you're here online, uh, we'd love to connect with you during the gathering or after. Uh, Today, we are in our final week of the Songs of Summer series, and today I get the opportunity to dish some truth from Psalm 84. Now, let's just jump right into it, shall we? Uh, The date of the psalm is uncertain, but we could... uh, think that it's been written while the temple was not accessible to the Jewish people. Um, But also we could think that it's from the Davidic monarchy period when the temple still stood. Alternatively, this psalm could also come from a period when the King Nebuchadnezzar II had destroyed the temple in the siege of Jerusalem. But what I want to tell you today is, whatever the case, it's important to note the significance of the temple in Jewish life. See, the temple is where the God of the universe, who could not be contained, made his home, and it was pleased him to dwell there and make his presence known in a tangible way. This, this, this ground at the temple was holy. And so for this reason, Psalm 84's focus on the Temple Mount emphasizes the centrality of worship in Jewish culture. It focus, uh, classifies Psalm 84 as a pilgrimage song. And so this was a melodious ballad of the devoted traveler on their way to the holy place to worship. So their one desire was to feel closer to the subject of their worship. For the, the pilgrim, all of life is a journey, a search for meaning. And so their physical journey was a demonstration of their personal spiritual formation. And so this pilgrimage is a path of purpose and significance where the worshiper seeks spiritual enlightenment and a deeper understanding of their belief system. But ultimately, the pilgrimage is an act of love and devotion to God. And so in this case, in this psalm, the psalmist looks to Zion, that ancient hill which God's temple stands in the beloved city of Jerusalem. And so therein resided the tangible presence of Yahweh, shrouded in the sacred traditions of the tabernacle, and behind the curtain is the glory of God himself. And so worshipers could sing the pilgrim song in a reflective kind of liturgy, It was performed on a a string guitar of sorts, an instrument called the Giddith. Like, let's imagine what that's like for a second. So imagine a solemn Jimmy Page leading a congregation in a a period of song and readings and, and reflection. His fingers are flying up and down a flamenco guitar. Well, it was probably nothing like that. But what makes this song so unique is the identity of the pilgrims who composed it. This was a psalm of the sons of Korah. And so you might ask, who are the sons of Korah? So now, although Korah's descendants wrote a good portion of the psalms, 
Korah himself earned himself infamy in the book of Numbers. And so, better to under, so we can better understand Psalm 84 and the sons of Korah. Korah's story must be told. And so we're going to turn our attention to the book of Numbers and chapter 16, and we're going to find Korah's tragic story. You see, Korah was this Levite charged with the, doing the work of the ministry in the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle was this huge tent the Israelites traveled with while Moses wandered and led them in the Sinai wilderness after they escaped Egypt. It housed the Ark of the Covenant and with it, the tangible presence of God. But let me tell you, the life in the wilderness was challenging. Emotions usually ran high and trust wore thin. And rebellion was always brewing. And so now Korah, he's had enough. He gathers up a group of 250 men and attempts to bully Moses and Aaron for two reasons. The first reason is because they were discontent with Moses' leadership. They didn't vote Moses in. And second, because they resented the priestly commission given to the sons of Aaron. Why should Aaron's sons be priests? And so Korah and the other rebels accuse Moses and Aaron of like dictatorship, nepotism, and self-exaltation. And so this horde marches on Moses and Aaron, and they shout this to them. Let's read together from this story. They shout, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? And then as a reaction, Moses heard this and he fell face down. Because when you rebel against God, Moses ducks. That's his reaction to rebellion. Then Moses says to Korah and the other rebels, he says, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have the person come near him. And the man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Do this. Take censers tomorrow and put burning coals in them and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. And then Moses continues. Now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that God, the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community? And brought you near to himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them. He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself. But now you are trying to get the priesthood too? And it is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Okay, let's, let's take a second. Like, what is happening here? See, Korah doesn't just question Moses here, but God. And Korah and the rebels refuse to participate in Moses' little challenge with the censers and the coals and the incense, and they refuse to yield to God's authority. And as a result, the next day, the earth opens up and swallows Korah, the other rebels, and their families whole. And not only that, Fire from heaven then consumes the other 250 rebels who followed Korah and rebelled against God. I mean, talk about the worst church barbecue ever, right? 
so what does this have to do with Psalm 84? What can we learn about Psalm 84 from Korah's folly? Well, see, Moses asks this question that really stands out, a critical one. He said, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself? In other words, in the most basic sense, Moses is saying, isn't dwelling in God's presence enough? And so in the same way today, wherever you are, if you're in this room or if you're joining us online, I want to ask you a similar question. Is God's presence enough for you? Is it enough? See, Korah and his co-conspirators sought personal position over the presence of God. They chose this immediate gratification over pursuit while in the desert. They chose control over trust, but thankfully this was not the end for the Korahites. His tribe was not completely swallowed up into oblivion. Some of, some of Korah's extended family survived. And so in Psalm 84, the descendants of Korah are not hurt, but they're hopeful. And so why is that? Well, the sons of Korah and their descendants found something that Korah himself could not. They discovered that dwelling in the presence of the Lord was everything. And this truth was what led the pilgrims back to God. And the more time they spent pursuing God, the greater their affections for him were. And the greater their affection, the more they walked in his ways. And the more they walked his way, the more hopeful they were. And that's what the presence of God does to those who seek him. And so this is their song. So let's dig right in. Let's read from Psalm 84, starting with verse 1. The psalmist writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself. Where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. See, the sons of Korah longed to dwell in God's presence more than anything. Their souls longed for the courts of the Lord. Because that's where the living God was. God's presence made the temple holy ground. His presence made a house, a home. And so these pilgrims, they desired to live in that home with him. They envied the temple birds. Why? Because they could simply live and raise their young near the presence of God's glory. They could bask in his radiance, enjoy the company of the eternal God, dressed with the weight of his glory, engaged in unending worship. So to the sons of Korah, these temple birds are blessed. They wanted this simple life of birds because they discovered a salve for an itch that no human can scratch. They knew that we are all just travelers looking for home. The sons of Korah knew that God's presence is our forever home. And they wanted to dwell where he was. They wanted to enjoy his presence. And every true pilgrim desires to live with a God who's home. 
See, life with a living God is far better than our intellectual ascent. It's far better than the idea of God. But, you know, let's unpack this idea a little bit about longing after God. Some might call this longing to enjoy God what John Piper calls Christian hedonism. And so the secular term hedonism is simply defined as the pursuit of pleasure. But for the believer, Piper adopts the word hedonism to describe the life of the Christian who finds pleasure in knowing God. See, John Piper thinks this way because he's read the Westminster Catechism. And so a catechism is just a summary of Christian principles in the form of questions and answers. And so in question one of the Westminster Catechism, the devoted reader is asked, what is the chief end of man? Or in other words, what is the meaning of life? To which the catechism answers, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But for John Piper, that's not enough. That description isn't good enough. So he slightly edited the statement by writing, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So don't miss this. Because for John, the philosophy of Christian life can be summarized in a simple statement. And this is it. Let's read it together. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are more, most satisfied in him. Can you think about that for a second? Are we most satisfied in God? Is that what we long for? Is that what we think about all the day long? Not me. But how did John Piper come to such a belief? Well, you know, him, like a lot of other pastors and theologians, were greatly influenced by the teachings of John Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. And Edwards is regarded as one of America's most critical preachers and philosophical theologians. Edwards believed that there was a significant difference in the idea of God's glory and actually delighting in it. And so John Piper says this about Edwards. He says, The greatest thing I have ever learned from Edwards is that God is glorified most not merely by being known, nor by merely being dutifully obeyed, but being enjoyed in the knowing and the obeying. Let me ask you that. Are you satisfied with God while knowing him and obeying him? Is that enjoyable for us? But let me be clear about something. Christian hedonism is a provocative term with secular connotations. And still, though, it is not to be confused with the pursuit of happiness. Those who use it correctly do not intend to mean that our happiness is the highest goal and highest good. Instead, Christian hedonists like Piper mean that pursuing the highest good, which is God, will always result in the greatest happiness in the end. And so this is the kind of satisfaction the sons of Korah wanted. The kind We can only have by dwelling with the living God in his presence. And this is the kind of happiness we we too should long for. Like a son longs for his father to welcome him home. This longing is like pilgrims who are homesick 
So let me ask you something. Have you ever been homesick? When I was small, my, my parents used to drop off my, my brothers and I while they traveled. And, and visiting grandpa and grandma was usually a novel adventure until bedtime. And I remember bawling my eyes up every single night. I want to go home. Take me home. You know, I'm a toddler. I'm just freaking out. I want to go home. And what's worse than that? Than being homesick, missing my home, was how terrifying my unfazed grandmother would be. This is her response. She would say with such certainty, she would say, this can be your home. <laughs> and that would just make things worse. But I would be, my eyes would just pop out of my head like she grew three heads. And I would be like, but I want my mom. You're not my mom. Get out of here. And, and, and just my grandmother is still so stoic. And without even blinking, again, my grandmother responds, I'll be your mom. This wasn't working. I thought to myself, has my grandmother been replaced by aliens? What is going on with her? This is not what I want. I want to be home. I want to be home with my family. In fact, I think my homesickness grew worse. And so, you know, think about it. When you're longing for home and your family, nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy you quite like them. See, I used to think that homesickness was something that you grew out of, but now I know that we are all just homesick children who belong at home. It wasn't that we, we miss our rooms or the kitchen sink. We yearn to be with our Heavenly Father in the same way that we want to be with our earthly Father. We belong to Him, and there, and there is the place where we will find true satisfaction. And so this was the kind of pursuit the sons of Korah were on. They wanted to go home, but they weren't there yet. So what do pilgrims like us do with all this yearning, all this longing, with our homesickness? Well, let me tell you, pilgrims hit the road. They're on a journey. They aren't just hungry for God's presence. They start running after it. So let's keep reading from Psalm 84, starting in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are on the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it, place of, it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. See, the sons of Korah were on a personal journey of faith in pursuit of the tangible presence of God. To them, he is worth the journey. They found meaning and strength and blessing from setting their hearts on the highways to Zion. Even when the journey was arduous and difficult, they set their minds and their souls on Zion where God was present. And so for the pilgrim, the pursuit of God was worth walking through places like what the psalm says is like the Valley of Baca. And so the Valley of Baca is this barren and waterless land on the way to Jerusalem. Baca literally means weeping. The Valley of Weeping is on the way to Zion. But what's weird here in the psalm is somehow these pilgrims find the desert to be a place of refreshment. 
where springs well up and, and early rains pool. So how does this happen? That, that's a good question, isn't it? How do pilgrims find refreshment in the desert? Well, you know, God can meet the faithful pilgrim in the desert place and shower good things on them. I, literally or spiritually, I, I, he's God, creator of the universe. I believe he can do it. But what's more interesting here, and even more so, the psalmist teaches us about the blessings found by seeking and worshiping God in our desert place. See, when we pursue God in worship, he sustains us for the journey. The closer these pilgrims got to the city of Jerusalem, the more their anticipation builds. And as they approach Zion, the stronger they become. The valley of weeping becomes one of rejoicing as pilgrims approach the presence of God. And so their love for worship was so great that the mere anticipation of being God's presence weirdly energized them. The closer they get, the more their, their souls leap within them. See, pilgrims in pursuit of God go from strength to strength to strength. You can get so caught up in worshiping God that your desert can become an oasis. And so, you know, to be clear, not every uh, believer has to literally walk through a desert to enter the, and worship God in his presence. But instead, every week we face obstacles that come between us and God and worshiping him. But our longing for him is still greater than the struggle. And so we don't avoid the desert. We endure and we push on strengthened in every step towards him. See, this is what the sons of Korah are talking about. They knew that God's presence is our present strength. See, believers, we're, we're drawn to God. In every circumstance, we can look to God. And because God is before us, we should not be consumed with all the things happening around us, all the, the struggling and the suffering it's the presence of God where we can find real strength no matter what. But it's true, isn't it, that but some, sometimes we let go of the presence of God before us because of what's around us, because of the, the things we desire or the easy um, satisfactions that we can grab at arm's reach. I just wonder, are we losing sight of God because of the desert? Are we losing sight of the forest because of the trees? And so this interesting question is one that the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard uh, addresses. And he writes this parable about a lighted carriage in a starlit night in the gospel of sufferings. And we could also today call it the crisis of Christian Edenism. It goes like this. Let's read it together. When the prosperous man on a dark but starlit night drives comfortably in his carriage and has the lanterns lighted, then... He feels safe. He fears no difficulty. He carries his light with him. And it is not dark close around him. But precisely because he has the lanterns lighted and has a strong light close to him, precisely for this reason, he cannot see the stars. For the lights obscure the stars, which the poor peasant, on the other hand, driving without lights, can see gloriously in the dark but starry night. So those deceived ones live in a temporal existence. Either they're occupied with the necessities of life, or they are too busy to enjoy the view. Or in their prosperity and good days, they have, as it were, their own lanterns lighted. 
and close about them. Everything is so satisfactory, so pleasant, so comfortable, but their world is lacking a view of the stars. See, for Kierkegaard, the view of the stars here refers to one's awareness and enjoyment of God. The rich and busy surround themselves with carriage lights and temporary comforts. They dwell on the troubles that blind them. They avoid the desert altogether. They're blinded from what Kierkegaard calls the absolute joy, which is the presence of God. And I agree with him. How, How can we enjoy the presence of God if we have such a limited experience of him? If we won't journey through the desert to pursue his presence? See, the sons of Korah knew that there was more to life than the trivial things that we dwell on. They found that when they dwelt in the presence of God, they would experience the power of God. And so a pilgrim doesn't just hunger and thirst for God, they search for him. And so they are met by him in life-altering, divine encounters. And after an encounter with the living God, the pilgrim cannot turn back. They have seen the stars. And they want to tell you about it. So let's keep reading together, starting in verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Everybody should enjoy the presence of God. The pilgrim intercedes on behalf of the people. All people, regardless of their station, should benefit from the presence of God, regardless of gender or race or position. Even the king needs him. He prays, behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of our anointed, our king. Why? Because even one day in God's presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. The pilgrim knows that God's presence is the most important place to be. It is enough in all circumstances. The psalmist rather be a doorkeeper in God's house than enjoy all the luxuries they might enjoy in the tents of the wicked. See, the sons of Korah didn't want to be consumed in a wicked tent like their father, Korah. If you actually look into it, the Korahites literally end up being gatekeepers in the temple courts. And that was enough for them. Dwelling near the presence of God was where they wanted to be. Why? Because the sons of Korah discovered that God's presence is our future hope. Every believer, you and me, we're on a journey. And God is our sun and our shield. His presence both illuminates our path and protects us on the way. And so when you pursue the Lord, he bestows favor and honor. And when you walk in his ways, he does not withhold any good thing from you. Why? Because blessed are those who trust in him. See, I think we need God to be present in the body of believers. Dr. Rob Reimer, who's a professor of the Alliance Theological Seminary in New York, wants to invite the presence of God back into the church where he was absent before. Uh, Better known for his soul care conferences, Dr. Reimer uh, writes this in the book of the, the same name, Soul Care. He writes this. 
we need authentic presence and power of God being demonstrated in our midst again today. It is often in our theology, but not in our reality. When the presence and power of God are part of the, the belief system, but absent from our practice, there are significant gaps in the integration of faith into our lives. See, I agree with Dr. Reimer. Without the presence of God, what hope do we have? It's because of the God's presence we are safe and secure. It's because of his presence that we have stepped into his glorious light and have been transformed by his power. It's because of his presence that we can stand upright before humanity. Why? Because when we pursue God's presence, his power begins to work in our lives. His power to save and restore broken humanity, that's our future hope. So today, we long for the presence of God because we need the power of God in our lives. So you might be asking, well, what are pilgrims like us to do? Well, I have good news for you. God wants to dwell in your tent. You know, this news would have made the sons of Korah dance like drunken idiots. I tell you, nearly 2,000 years ago, God took a giant leap in our direction. And he made his presence known in Jesus Christ. God came to dwell amongst us. And so the sinless son of God rose again for us. He died and rose again for us. And it was the blood of Christ that brought us, a, that bought us a permanent residence in the house of God. You know, the, the apostle Paul said, For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And it was the resurrected Jesus who sent the Spirit of God to dwell in us. Paul says, For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, now God dwells in a pilgrim's tent. His spirit wants to dwell in us. And because of Jesus, we can pursue his presence now. Because of Jesus, we can experience his power in our lives today. Because of Jesus, we can know and enjoy God forever. But wait, let me tell you, there's more. Our hope is not just for our future, but for eternity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we sh would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this was very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. See, here Paul talks about eternity using the analogy of dwelling in tents. This word picture is, is of pilgrims traveling toward their destination. They set up portable dwelling places along the way, these, these tents. And so your tent reminds you that you are not at your destination yet. You're not, you're not who you were, but you're not yet who you're going to be. You're still in this process. 
But one day, you will find your way to your forever home. You see, the pursuit of the presence of God produces three things in the pilgrim, in us. Longing. The more we pursue God, the more we long for him. The second thing is maturity. The more time we spend in his presence, the greater the growth in us. And finally, hope. The more you grow, the more hopeful you are. See, God wants to be pursued. He desires for you to be mature in Christ, and he wants to give you a lasting and eternal hope. So some of you, whether you're online or you're in this room, might feel far from God right now. And you're, you're searching. Maybe you're in a desert place in your lives. This pandemic has been quite dry. So if that's you, let me ask you just three simple questions for a variety of people. Maybe if you're with us today online or in this room, you're searching for meaning. I want to ask you, what are you dwelling on? Because I think if you tell me what you think about, I'll tell you what you're looking for. What you spend all day just dwelling on. And some of you are looking for something, but some of you are actually looking for someone. And maybe God, the creator of the universe, is who you're searching for. We should think about that today. Is God trying to get your attention? Or maybe you're joining us today and you're just struggling. You're in a desert place. Where are you dwelling? On what path are you dwelling? You know, we're all in pursuit of something, but not everything that we pursue, not every path will satisfy our soul. In every season, though, the presence of God will satisfy you in ways that, that nothing else can. Jesus is asking you to follow him. So maybe in this pandemic, would you consider today how you might redirect your path? Take a spiritual 180, turn around, pursue God. And finally, if you're joining us and you're just stuck in your walk with Jesus, you're pursuing him, uh, but it... it it's not going so well. I just want to ask you, who are you dwelling with? It's not, it's not just hanging out with the wrong people, but some of you need to experience the presence of God. Maybe God just doesn't have access to your tent. He wants access, but you're afraid. And so in our inner lives, how can we surrender more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit today? How can we open up? If that's you, in any of those situations or scenarios, I want to tell you something that I believe will change your life forever. When you pursue and experience the tangible presence of the eternal and living God, he, you will be transformed by the work of his Holy Spirit. He will radically change what you love and all your affections. He will reorganize all your priorities. And he will give you hope that cannot be robbed or tarnished. Dwelling in the presence of God is enough. It is everything. It is our pursuit. Let me, let me pray for you guys today as we close. Join me in praying together. Lord, we just, we love to be in your presence. We long to be in your presence. And, uh, 
We just ask that you would meet us on the journey. That you would help us keep our eyes on you, no matter what the suffering or the situation. And I just pray today for those who are searching or struggling or stuck. I pray that you would meet them today, that they would open themselves up to your son Jesus, and that the Holy Spirit would begin its work. We just thank you that you have come and made your presence known. We love you for it. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.